Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a sermon by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld. On the one hand, one of the lovely things about religious life is its consistency. Think back to your Pesach last year, five years ago, 20 years ago. How much of it was beautifully the same? Same tunes and rituals around your Seder for the most part. Familiar foods. If you're a shul-goer, familiar liturgy. There is a loveliness to the sameness of religious activity. I do think that one of the reasons that people come to shul is because it's familiar. It's, it's like we're putting on a, a comfortable blanket. That old joke of, you know, Goldberg comes to Shul to talk to God and Greenberg comes to Shul to talk to Goldberg. It's not just for the schmoozing. It's this place like the bar at Cheers where everybody knows your name and you know what to expect for the most part. And the more you do it, you know what to expect in terms of the rituals and when you bow and what the tunes are like, which exposes, by the way, why it's so hard for people who are not on the inside of Shul life to break in because everyone else seems to know what they're doing. But kind of knowing what you're doing is one of the beautiful things of religious life. It's what makes, I think, the Orthodox lifestyle, if not the theology of it, so attractive. Everyone's doing a version of the same thing. And that homogeneity and reinforcing behavior creates a wonderful sense of community and bondedness. And, of course, throughout the Jewish world where you travel... You know, when we were in Morocco last year, even though some of the tunes were different, it was amazing to walk into a shul and to see the language of our people pretty similar to what we're used to on the walls and the prayer books. So there's an aspect of stasis throughout the generations and stasis within your own Jewish life that makes religion hum. We want some of that. That's why we're not on a constant journey for something new in our religious life. We're making kiddushin. We're, we're, we're not married to many gods. We're married to this one tradition. And you can see where this, go, this is going. There's something boring about being the same Jew next week as it was last week. There's something boring about a Jewish community being the same as it was last week. Whenever we change a tune, people get very upset. You know, where, who stole my cheese? Where did my favorite tune for Alenu go. And yet that favorite tune of yours for Alenu or for a song in Hallel was once a new tune. And the only way things happen in the world is through risk-taking, which eventually leads to change that stays for a while. Stasis is illusory. And it's not even the goal, I don't think, in religious life. I don't think it's the goal to walk into shul next week, the same Jew you walked into this week. Too much change and you're unrecognizable. Not enough change. And why are you on this path? I remember that one of the reasons I wanted to be a rabbi was because I wanted to make people more religious. I don't mind saying it. I wanted to come to a community and get people to start doing mitzvot and kosher kitchens and have them be more Shomer Shabbat and daven more and learn the prayers and learn how to read Torah. I felt like I was on a quest a bit of a prophet. Humble, hopefully, but a prophet coming to bring God's word to a community. Wake up. Wake up to a life of religious identity and connection. It's what I wanted to do. And 
Interestingly, in the first couple years of my first position, not like some transformative prophet, but I spent a lot of my time with individual Jews trying to help them be more religious, getting them to light Shabbat candles, getting them to try putting on tefillin, teaching them basic skills. It was incredibly fulfilling. And I have pride in the Jews I helped create along the way, like the Midrash that says about Avram and Sarah, Bet HaNefesh Asher Haran, all the souls that they made in Haran in their layover on the way down to the land of Canaan. There are Jews who were then and are now part of the community I once served that I know are more observant and connected to their Jewish lives as a result of my focusing on it. Not with perfect success by any means, but it was a focus of mine. Something shifted at some point. It's not that I stopped caring about it, but if you know me well, when was the last time I specifically tapped you on the shoulder and encouraged you to do a mitzvah or do a spiritual act that you didn't do before? It's not that I don't believe it anymore, God forbid, but it's, it, it kind of left my rabbinic focus. My rabbinic focus turned to opening up as many doors as possible to people, for people to find their way into Jewish life make them feel at home, make them feel beloved, make them feel loved, make them feel part of something sacred, but not being on a personal crusade to make them less secular and more religious. Who am I? I'm a rabbi, but who am I to tell you that where you are in your religious life is insufficient? Maybe where I'm in my life is insufficient. So I stepped down a little bit from the religious hubris and try to embrace people where they were and make them know that they have a home here in this sanctuary, any sanctuary, but not trying to convert them to be more religious than they are. I wonder if I overswung the pendulum. I don't say this with guilt. I say this as a way of just expressing what I'm thinking about as a rabbi right now. I was reading a commentary on the Haggadah from, I was actually quoted in a Haggadah by, that was in, in the name of Nechama Leibovitch, who was one of the great Israeli Torah scholars of the 20th century and revolutionary for her time because she was a woman at the forefront of religious scholarship and how to teach the text of the Torah in the Orthodox community before it was normative. And in that Haggadah, there is a teaching by Rav Kook, the first Ashkenazi chief rabbi of, the, of Palestine, pre-state Palestine. And he connects something in the third paragraph of the Shema. The third paragraph of the Shema where we um, kiss the tzitzit and are reminded of these tactile mitzvot. And the whole collection of the Shema on which we have the reminder in the Ahafta and the previous paragraph of Tefillin. Rav Cook wonders what's the connection between these tactile mitzvot, Tefillin in particular, and the Tefillin of the armor in particular, and the way that God reminds our, us of who God is at the end of the paragraph. Do not let your eyes astray after your hearts and after your eyes 
that you might be led astray to them. Ahani, because I, I don't, I don't I am the Lord your God. Asher Mitzrayim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, to be your God. Ani, I, Adonai your God. Why the specific reminder of God who brought us out of Egypt in this paragraph about tactile mitzvot and in a ritual where we kiss the armed fillin and kiss the head fillin to remind us of that mitzvah? Why not, I am the Lord who created the universe. I am the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why the reference to the God of Exodus for these mitzvot? And Rav Cook says, and this is me reminding you if you listened to my drash yesterday, that machloket, the difference of opinion in the Haggadah between Rav and Shmuel about where our gnut, where our low point was as a people, was it enslavement physically in Egypt or enslavement morally and ritually and spiritually pre-monotheism, Rav Cook would say the former, not the latter. Not to romanticize physical enslavement by any means. But he says you could be a free person as a slave if your heart and your mind are on a religious journey. Just go into the kind of spiritual aesthetics of this, not trying to counterbalance it and counter-argue. But even if you're a totally free person with no master, but you live with no God in your life, then you're a slave to the secular society around you and to the godless ethos that pervades a lot of reality. He would say, I'd rather be in the first category. Or a Jew should rather be in the first category, not Stockholm Syndrome, that we want to be enslaved, but rather our physical bodies enslaved and our minds and spirits liberated in our relationship with God than utterly emancipated people who are totally godless. I can lean into that a little bit. I'm a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of modern culture. I like baseball. I like movies. I like humor. I like comedy. I'm not a Haredi. I like the modern world, and I like the secular world. But there's some soullessness out there, and there's some godlessness, and there's some valuelessness in the utterly secularized world which is not to suggest that an atheist cannot be a good person. I'm not suggesting that at all. But there is some value vacuum in parts of society where religious values are not informing behavior. Yes, there are also places where religious values are informing behavior in terrible ways. We're seeing that right now where extreme religious groups are pushing back against the guidelines of today's security health standards because I think they're bowing down to a false god. And I'm sure Rav Cook knew about versions of that in his generation. But he's saying that the primary enslavement that God took us out of and which needed a strong arm, God's strong arm, was the enslavement to an idea that suggested it was better than living with God. And so when we wrap our tefillin on our arms, we're reminding ourselves that we need a strong arm, a tefillined arm, a phylacteried arm, a bound arm, every day 
on some level. To remind ourselves that a life with God and a life with Torah and a life with religion and a life with shul and a life with sanctuary and a life with prayer is a preferable one for a Jew. It just is. If I didn't believe it, would I be a rabbi? I don't tisk tisk those who are in a different place than I am in my religious life. But if I wasn't trying to lead you and myself on some level to a more phylacteried life, a tefillinized life, figuratively and literally, I might as well just be, I don't know, a camp counselor. I believe in this, and I believe in you, and I believe in your journeys. And I want us to end Pesach, this unique of all Psachim, thinking about what Rav Cook is teaching us about Pesach's need to be transformative on us, just as the original Pesach was transformative to the ancestors we are imitating and emulating right now. Where can you go now in your religious life? What opportunity can you take advantage of in this unique human moment to explore an aspect of ritual practice, devotional commitment, prayerful attentiveness, mitzvah that you just might not have come to if all things were normal right now? Maybe it's tefillin. I'm speaking to the men. I'm speaking to the women. That beautiful mitzvah that reminds us that we are connected and tethered to a tradition. Maybe it's as simple as saying blessings before you eat food because food is precious now. Maybe it's saying ani when you wake up in the morning because life is precious now. Maybe it's not a ritual in the sense of religious law or holiday law. Maybe it's doubling down on your tzedakah if you can in the name of having Pesach be a transformative process for you, pulling you away from just a secular life. There is nothing wrong with a secular life. We conservative modern Jews embrace that fusion. But just it, with occasional sprinkles of coming late to shul on Shabbat, I say that with love, with a little bit of a twist, maybe there's something more waiting for you. Maybe there's something that God is waiting for you to do, to show. So we left Egypt and we crossed the Sea of Reeds and we're in the desert and we're counting the Omer and Mount Sinai is ahead of us. Maybe this year when you get to Mount Sinai, when we get to Shavuot, whether we experience it in this room together or cloistered in our homes, maybe you'll have done something different in your religious life such that you will have earned the receiving of Torah this year, different than last year, and that your comfortable, wonderful, familiar stasis in religious life will be fused with an uncomfortable, interesting, fascinating exploration of the new Jew that can be you. I hope you had a nice yantif. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. 
For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.